Welcome to the Wing Life Podcast, where we talk about wing foiling and the lifestyles of those who enjoy this great sport. Well, hey, Robert, pretty pretty awesome to have you on the show. You're a, a big name in, in the whole industry. It's awesome to, to have gotten the chance to meet you at AWSI and stoked to chat with you today. Yeah, thanks for inviting me, Luke. Um, cool to be on the other side of the interview for for a change. <laughs> <laughs> I don't doubt. How long have you been running your podcast? Uh, I started it kind of early on in the pandemic. Um, I think it's been like three years now, about three years. Oh, nice. A Blue Planet show. Yeah, Blue Planet show. Yeah, I've listened to a few of them and they're they're awesome. Comprehensive, long format, kind of the same thing. And, and you're getting people from all over the world and sharing that stoke. So that's pretty awesome. How, uh, how about your YouTube channel? That thing is pretty big. Like you've been running that for a while too. Yeah, I mean, uh, YouTube, I think we started it in 2007. Like that's when we posted the first video. And um, and then I think, I don't know when it was, but I think probably around 2010 or 12 is when we started posting every week. So a weekly video every week. So yeah, it's been a while. What got you into water sports um, at the start? Because you're such an advocate, which is pretty awesome. Oh, gee, I don't even know where to start. I guess my my earliest experience is uh, that I remember is like body surfing with my dad and my two sisters um, and just getting thrown around by the waves and just having fun and kind of a mixture of being scared and uh, pure ecstasy, you know. <laughs> so I don't know, just like I, I loved it and I just lo- always loved being in the water and just playing around like a fish, you know. So probably oh, nice. body surfing was my earliest experience where I really enjoy, enjoyed it, you know? Oh, cool. Now, were you born and raised in Hawaii? Where did you grow up? So yeah, my background, I was born in San Francisco. And then when I was three years old, we moved to Germany. My parents are both German. And then we lived in Heidelberg for a while, then Berlin. And um, and then I learned how to windsurf when I was growing up as a teenager and and then that, like I, I always got the windsurf magazines in the mail and saw pictures of Hawaii, people doing it in Hawaii. And that was kind of my dream um, when I was in high school and stuff. And so as soon as I graduated, I saved up some money, worked up for a while. And then I ended up in Maui for, for a year, lived in Maui for a year, worked at a surf shop, Hunt Hawaii and Paia. And then oh, uh, nice. and then I went back to Germany to, to kind of start my serious life and started going to university and i only lasted like one semester back in in berlin and then i was was like uh i've had enough of this cold weather and stuff so i went back to maui and i went to maui community college and then for two years uh windsurfing a lot and then um you know and working in the industry a little bit and then after two years i had a two-year degree and then to get a four-year degree i had to move to oahu so I went to University of Hawaii and studied business, got a bachelor's degree in business. And then part of the part of that, I graduated in 1993 and part of my studies, I had to write a business plan, marketing plan, all those kind of things. And that ended up being uh, turning into Blue Planet. Basically, you know, I wrote a, a business plan for Blue Planet and um, and then, then I was like, huh, might as well try it, you know. Um, didn't have much to lose, so I just uh, went for it, and that was 35 years ago, or no, 30 years ago, 30 years ago in 1993. Oh no way! So it's been it's been a while. It has changed a, a bunch yeah. since then, but I'm still doing it basically enough. Okay. Yeah. So what did you start off right at the start with Blue Planet? 
I mean, it started really basic with just, I had a logo and a business card. And then I, I started printing some t-shirts, had t-shirts printed and then, um, came up with some more designs and had some friends, artist friends that helped me come up with the t-shirt designs and clothing. And then I found a, a wholesale customer in Japan that, that where they did really well with it right away. Then they ordered like, you know, one box and 10 boxes, then a hundred boxes. And so that was, <laughs> that was kind of a, a start, a good start of the business. And then, but I ended up with all these extra, all this extra clothing at a small apartment in Waikiki and my bedroom was basically uh, filling up with boxes. So I started taking them to the swap meet, which is like a, you know, it's like a flea market here in Hawaii uh, at the Aloha Stadium. And then just started selling t-shirts. And then we started making board shorts for men and women. We had some of the first board shorts for women, uh, you know, back in the 90s. Oh, no way. And then um, and then Aloha shirts and and more accessories. And then we opened our first surf shop a couple of years later. And then we started um, selling boards and making our own boards. And and then that became a bigger, bigger part of the business. I don't know if you want to hear the whole story, but. Oh man, um, I'd, yeah, I'd love to hear the whole yeah. story. And I'm sure a lot of people <laughs> out in, in Canada and everywhere else would love to hear it too. All right, so yeah. And then, you know, then we had this shop on Maui for a while that had a partnership that, that didn't really work out that only lasted for one year, but we started selling boardworks boards, which at that time, uh, it was called Acme surf supply. So they were making boards in Czechoslovakia and I went over there and checked it out and they had um, pretty nice quality, like, um, epoxy sandwich, um, PVC sandwich boards. Um, that was really early on when um, when those boards were kind of still really new, and we started selling a lot of their boards. Like uh, it was Steve Walden Magic Model and like certain boards that sold really well. And then uh, at some point, um, C4 Waterman signed up as a brand with Boardworks, so we had C4 Waterman boards, and that really took off. Like early on in the stand-up paddle craze, you know, when it first started, we, we were some of the we had some of the first production stand-up paddle boards available. So um, oh, nice. those were just kind of flying out the door as fast as we could get them to. Um, but then, you know, the business kind of, um, we had some some challenges with C4 Waterman and Boardworks, and they were kind of, um, yeah, anyways, it, it just fell apart after a while, the distribution. So when that okay. fell apart, then we were like, okay, now we can just make our own, you know, like basically... As long as we were a distributor, we're, we were, couldn't really make our own boards. So, but once that distribution ended with Boardworks, we started making our own boards. Uh, I think that was about fifteen years ago. Okay. And yeah, since then I've just I I've learned to um, you know use the computer shaping software. You know, early on as a teenager, I made a bunch of my own windsurf boards, and um, you know been shaping boards and doing board repairs and in Maui I was doing a lot of board repairs and building boards and designing boards so um but then I you know I learned to use the shaping software design boards and then have them had prototypes made and have them manufactured and so that's been a growing thing that's pretty awesome and you know mostly stand up paddle boards at first and then I guess when when foiling first kind of started i mean it's kind of like to me you know early on I, of course i saw the videos with like laird hamilton and dave kalama towing into jaws on a with like snowboard boots and 
and like these tiny little aluminum foils underneath and and uh yeah so but that kind of looked like something i it didn't look like something i could ever do or it didn't i was never really interested in it but then you know when kyleni posted that video like downwinding on a big race, stand-up race board with a foil underneath it i was just like wow this is possible you know like this is something i can do you know we don't need jet ski just uh self-powered riding in endless waves so that was uh, exciting, and then my friend Jeff and I, we, we he had like a, a kite foil that was totally the wrong foil to start on, like super long mass, tiny high speed foil, and uh, but we tried it behind a jet ski, and uh, you know the first time we tried it, we totally failed and couldn't do anything, and almost killed ourselves with that foil. But, Sounds about um, right. Yeah. And then, you know, you know, we were kind of ready to give up, but Jeff was just like, oh, let's try it again. Let's try it again. And we kept going, kept going. And eventually we kind of got it where we could tow behind the uh, jet ski with that foil, but it was really challenging and didn't seem like something I could ever do in the surf. But, you know, once then, uh, you know, once the gold foils came out with the, the Kai foil, I got one of those early on. And then with that one, I was able to catch waves on a stand-up paddle board and and surf waves and then right away i started making um like my own uh stand-up foil boards and uh and we were one of the first to have stand-up foil boards available as production boards like and uh we had like a huge wait list for the first shipment when it came in and stuff like that so there was like huge demand for it in the beginning especially and um yeah and then that kind of grew from there you know the stand-up foiling and then we're doing downwinders. This episode is brought to you by the Fit for Surfing program. If you're looking to take your wing foil skills to the next level and ride those waves like a pro, listen up. Are you tired of watching others make it look effortless while you're struggling to keep up? Well, I have a game changer for you. Introducing the Fit for Surfing program. It's a comprehensive training program designed to transform you into the wing foil legend you actually are. Whether you're a beginner or an experienced winger, this program is tailored just for you. So why should you consider the Fit for Surfing program? First off, it's not just about hitting the gym or doing random workouts. It's a holistic approach that covers surf-specific exercises, flexibility training, and mental conditioning. This program is being used by pros from around the world that are currently on tour, including our main man, Max Robinson. So to get started, click on the link in the description and use the discount code WINGLIFEPODCAST50 to get an amazing 50% off the first month when you sign up. Your dreams of conquering those waves, lakes, and rivers and becoming a true wingfoiler can become their a reality with the Fit for Surfing program. This is your chance to unlock your full surfing potential and join the ranks of those top surfers worldwide like those on tour. So don't miss out on this incredible opportunity. Get ready to wing like you've never winged before with the Fit for Surfing program. Click the link in the description and use the discount code WINGLIFEPODCAST50 to get started today. With the paddle, you know, stand-up paddle downwinders with big foils, and it was just really challenging to catch waves and stuff like that, uh, open ocean swells, especially on the wide, short boards that we had at the time and just kind of slower okay. foils and all that. So, but then, um, yeah, and then the wings came out and we, you know, I, like the first wing I got was from Duotone, the, um, I think it's called the foil wing. Um, 
but they only had like a three meter available. They had, like everything was sold. Like I put an order really early, and they said they would get me something, and then they were like, "Oh, all we have is a three meter wing." So I'm like, "Okay, I'll take it." You know, so then that's <laughs> what I started on a three meter wing, and we waited for a windy day. Jeff had a um, a slingshot, and then uh, my friend Derek uh, got a wing too. Somehow, forget what he had, but. We all went out, you know, like instead of using a paddle, we're just we're just going to do downwinder with the wing instead of the paddle. So without have, nice. ever having tried it, and so we were like, you know, a mile offshore and trying to figure out how to start on the thing and, <laughs> and turn oh. around and go the other way and stuff like that. So it took us a while, but um, I mean, Jeff and I had like a lot of windsurfing background, so it wasn't too hard to figure it out. But Derek had never used a wing; he had like no experience, so he was kind of really struggling in the beginning but you know now he's better than all of us so um but he's just a natural he's like uh, anyway but then after that it was just like oh i love this and that's kind of all i wanted to do was wing foiling so pretty much since then i've been mostly wing foiling i still stand up paddle um a little bit of stand up paddle racing stand up paddle surfing when the wind is light and uh sometimes i stand up foil or even prone foil and toe foiling, but most of the time I'll look for the good wing foiling conditions and that's when I go out. Oh, beautiful. And whereabouts are you located on, on Oahu? So I'm on Oahu's South Shore. Uh, I live in Ainahaina, which is um, kind of in between Hawaii Kai and Diamond Head. So we got a kind of a lot of good, good spots right here in, in this area. Um, there's one right really close to my house and then Diamond Head is kind of the regular spot that we go to it's almost always has some decent waves and fun conditions oh nice and when's the best conditions for wind there so the south shore um, is the best in the summertime so you got long days you got trade winds pretty steady trade winds and then good south swells like waves coming from the south um, so that's the best time for us and summer, summer is always a lot of fun here in Honolulu. Uh, in the winter, it's better on the North shore. Okay. So then the waves get good on the North side and the wind's not quite as, um, consistent. So I would say if somebody wants to visit Hawaii to go wing foiling, the best time is the summertime. Uh, visit Oahu. Um, okay. And South shore obviously would be the easiest to learn. Yeah, the South Shore is great, and, yeah. and we get good swells here, too, if you want to ride some waves and stuff like that. <clears throat> uh, Kailua is also a nice spot. It kind of has onshore wind, so it's great for beginners or intermediates, a little bit safer. The South Shore tends to be more offshore wind, so if you get in trouble, you get blown out to sea, you know? So it's good <laughs> to go with, with someone else or just be safe and make sure you can get back to shore always. How did AWSI turn out for you guys? Oh, AWS was was a great show. So we did it this year for the first time. Um, I always used to do the um, Surf Expo in Orlando in September, which for some reason they do them both on the same weekend or same week. So we couldn't really do both. But we have a pretty good clientele at Surf Expo that always comes back and orders from us. So it's kind of hard not to go to uh, Surf Expo, but AWSI just seems like the pl- seemed like the place to go where... where Everybody's going there and all the brands are there for the wind sports. So this is our first time there and it was great to just meet everyone. It was such a cool gathering of people like every, all the big names were there, all the social media 
influencers and and content creators like you and and um and then all the owners of the businesses came too you know like army armstrong and you know um you know all the all the top top um basically the top dogs of the industry were there so it was cool to get interviews with like guys like sven rasmussen of starboard and and um all, all the top top not guys um the key players in the industry so that that was really cool my my friend uh my friend fabrice bow from he's originally from france but we've been friends since back on maui when we went to maui community college and he used to be a pro windsurfer now he lives in costa rica but he came to the show with me and then a lot of people know fabrice back from when he was a windsurfing pro but he hasn't been in that whole scene for years so he it was good for him to kind of see everyone and then he kind of helped me come up with some good questions to ask people and stuff so we had like five interview questions that we asked a whole bunch of people the social oh, awesome. media um, content creators and then also the key players in the industry so um yeah so we got some good content too from that show oh beautiful and you know we we and it was like an 11 day trip so we had like three or four days before the show of three three two two days after the show and we had good wind every day so we were able to basically go winging every day and even during the show it was good to wing at the event site too you know so oh yeah definitely was it was a fun show and and good event nice that's awesome um were there any is there any gear that you were releasing at the show because i know some brands had their their 2024 stuff and they were just putting it out to the retailers was there anything new that you guys are working on or or had ready to release yeah so we showed our new 2024 foil boards um which are not quite uh we we just got our first shipment of them um but they're not even on our website yet or anything like that so we're still in the process of releasing those but we have uh, new Wingmaster boards, and then we have a Wing Sup uh, series that that's good for stand-up foiling and beginner wing foilers, and then we have prone prone surf foiling boards, and then also downwind foiling boards, and uh, and then also we the Wing Racer boards, which are kind of um, made for light wind takeoff there you know of course you can use the downwind foil boards for light wind as well but uh, the wing races are a little bit shorter and more like shaped more like a regular it's just like a longer version of our free riding boards and this is a great board for taking off early but going fast it's a great board for racing a little bit more high volume okay so that's what i've been using in the um, molokai race i think i showed it to you when you were at the show right yeah, I think uh, that's the, the one we got. It's, yeah, video. Yeah. So yeah, and I think you posted something on on YouTube about that too. Right? I did. Yeah, there. yeah. I threw that up and so I threw it up we, on Instagram too. Yeah. So a lot of people, uh, several people have actually asked about that board, but I don't have it in stock yet. We do have it being made right now. So once it's available, that'll be up on our website as well. But that was kind of you know a prototype I I wanted to test before racing and stuff, and I tried it a few times, and I was just like. Oh, this is the future, you know, because it's a little bit longer. It's like 5'8 by 21 by 90 liters. So it's like high volume, narrow, a little bit longer. Um, gets on a on a um, gets up on foil super easy, even in very light wind. So you not you don't have to wait for a gust or whatever to get it get it going. And uh and it's just real easy to use. So um that that board 
is great. And we're probably going to make a couple other sizes, like a little bit smaller, a little bit bigger for different size riders. Um, nice. But yeah. And then we have our, our, um, the Wingmaster boards are really nice for free riding. And our new construction is like full carbon with PVC deck, kind of real lightweight. It's a, a factory that a really high quality factory that makes boards for a lot of the top brands. And, um, so I'm excited about the, those new foil boards and that the new downwind boards are really nice too. Yeah. What do you think about this whole new downwind trend and uh, everybody's getting into it and. Oh, I mean, down, I mean, you know, like I said, I've been downwinding for kind of from the very beginning and recently I kind of started getting back into it and it's so much fun once you're up on, on the, on, on foil riding the, the bump, it's an amazing sensation. And it's kind of exhilarating because you have to work pretty hard to get to that point, right? So, but then like when you come off the foil and the wind's a little bit light and the bumps aren't that good and you're trying to get back on foil and it's just not working, you can't get going, it can be incredibly frustrating. I mean, it's so humiliating and frustrating, that sport. And then, uh, you know, if you have a, a friend that, that's just like a little bit better at it and they're just like gone on the horizon, you're, you can't even get back on foil. And, you're like True. a couple miles out and you just have to like paddle back. Uh, it's like, yeah, that can be incredibly frustrating. So I think the, for me, I mean, if I just want to have fun and I only have like an hour time or, or a couple hours, then I always go wing foiling because I know I'm going to be on foil the whole time. I'm going to have fun. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and stand up, stand up downwind foiling is just definitely still a challenge for me. But it's something I want to get better at and and keep keep working on. And you get quite a bit of water time, eh? To definitely pick the right conditions for it. Um, yeah, I mean, I try to, you know, so one of I mean the reason I one of the reasons I started my business is so I can get on the water and have a flexible schedule. And um, so I kind of have to remind myself. I'm kind of sometimes get too caught up in work and then. Uh, I kind of my uh, water time suffers, but try to keep it balanced. And also, of course, family, friends, um, and have a little bit of a personal life. But um, yeah, those those are the things I always try to kind of find a good balance between. Yeah, and fair enough. And what, what's your training schedule like? Because I know that just to be able to, like, do you incorporate um, any yoga stuff, any weight training aspects into that to make you a little bit easier on the water or is it mainly just sport based? Um, no, definitely. I mean, I have, I have like, like my, my little morning routine. I do like, um, Wim Hof breathing exercises. I do like meditation and journaling. And then I have like a workout, little morning workout routine. I do 50 push ups every morning, certain things I, I try to do every morning. Uh, it's a little bit of a, just a mental challenge too, to kind of to do that every morning. I don't really want to do it, but I just kind of get up and do it. Um, and, and then in the winter time, like, you know, if there's, if the conditions aren't good and I don't have enough time to drive to the North shore or whatnot, I'll, I will go to the gym. So I do usually weightlifting, but kind of only in the off season. I don't have like in the summer, like when I've missed training for racing and stuff like that, I, I just try to get on the water as much as I can. And I don't worry about weightlifting and all that kind of stuff. Um, but the stretching and the, my morning routine I do every day. Okay. Fair enough. Now your 50 push-ups, 
you doing those in sets? Are you banging that out 50 in a row or? Yeah, I do like, um, I I do 20 with my hands pretty close, like more like my triceps. And then I do 20 with my hands pointed in. And then I do 10 with my arms really wide. Okay. And then the last few, I do them really slow. So I kind of try to kind of get to almost total exhaustion, you know? Yeah, my brother and I, we just started doing this 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, and then back down the pyramid. So he'll go mm-hmm. and I'll go. And his buddy from Ukraine, just he's a boxer. So he's just his strength to weight ratio is insane. So we started doing those just at lunchtime, which is a pretty cool little gets you going, though. But so 50, how much 50 does that stuff. come out to if you do that? Comes out, how to, many? Comes out to 100. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 will get you to 50. And normally we can get there, but the back of the mountain is tough. How's food there? Obviously, Oahu has a, has a fresh abundance of food. Um, it'd be cool to find a little bit more about how you eat to stay fit and how to be able to compete um, in some of these races. Yeah. I mean, I'm 55, so I'm not that young anymore. Definitely can f- um, feel it. Like the other day, I really tweaked my ankle. I got stuck in the foot strap and the board went over the falls, uh, kind of got in the white water and I got like dragged by my foot strap, which was pretty painful and it still hurts a little bit. So I've been out of the water for a few days, but yeah, nutrition is super important. Um, and stretching of course, and kind of yoga and type of exercises. I do, you know, part of my morning routine as well. And then hanging from a bar every for a few minutes every morning. Um, uh, nutrition wise, I mean, I like my coffee in the morning. Um, but I try to eat healthy. I mean, I eat a pretty solid breakfast with like proteins and everything like that. And then lunch usually more more of a lighter meal and then I eat a pretty good meal for dinner. But I always try to okay. get like, you know, fruit, greens, uh, you know, try to eat grass-fed um, beef or, or um, kind of the um, better kind of meats if possible and avoid processed food, avoid sugar. Uh, and then try to eat as you know as much fresh produce and fruits as possible. And I mean, we have excellent like bananas, papayas, and uh, greens here on Oahu from locally grown. But sometimes it's kind of hard to get it. You have to go to certain stores. Like a lot of the produce that they sell here is imported. You know. Yeah. So um, you have to go and go and find that. But definitely, the fresh local stuff is the best. Yeah, fair enough. All right, cool. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. Because a lot of people getting into winging now are between, let's say, 40 and even 65, 70. So they're always trying to find a different ways to either slowly increase their fitness, what to eat to be able to increase their ability on the water, and then what exercises to do, like knees especially, right? Like knees is for when you're winging because you're always coming up and down. Like I started doing these knees over toes lunges from this knees over toes guy on Instagram and Me. slowly working into some of his knee rehab, like walking backwards and then slowly walking backwards up hills um, and then throwing back into some so those knee over toes lunges for me because my knees were just getting sore from popping up and down 300 times. So I wasn't yeah. sure if there's anything in spe- specific um, that 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 you do that helped you or... Um, yeah. So I haven't had too many knee issues, but like for me, it's been my shoulders, my elbows, um, forearms. So I, I have like certain exercises, usually my 
Um, this is my um, Thera Theraband. I don't know. Oh, this, nice. this is like if any anyone has like the tennis elbow right here that gets painful, that's pretty common. I just have like these exercises where you kind of um, um, twist the bar and then let it off. So this is like a really good exercise for the mm, for the okay. forearm muscles if you have that issue. Um, so I try to do that regularly, and then I have like um, my bands like. For the shoulders, I have like an exercise I do almost every day is um, with uh, to strengthen the rotator cuff muscles, and then some of the stretches like when um, I don't know what it's called, but like I sit on my feet basically with my toes pointed forward, so that kind of stretches out my feet, the muscles in my feet, and then I point them back. I do um, you know the um, different stretches for my lower back and 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 you know just my hamstrings okay. and just keep everything stretched out and flexible and limber. Yeah. Especially as, as you get older, that's super important. Like I think if you're, I mean, basically if you don't use it, you lose it. Right. So yeah. No kidding. Gotta, um, gotta stay active and keep it limber and, and stretched out. And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of lucky too. I have like some really good role models, like Jeff Chang, my friend, Jeff Chang, that he's like, I think he's like 67 now or something like that. So he's more than 10 years older than me, but he's still super fit and does everything. Um, so I, I really look up to him and Alan Cadiz is another great role model. He's I think 60 now and oh, yeah. still one of the fastest guys around, you know, like be beating the young guys and wing racing. So, and you know, racing is kind of one of those things where, you know, if you're older, you have a little bit more experience, you can afford the, the best equipment. And then, so you kind of have a little bit of a chance against the really talented young guys that are maybe not as more impulsive, maybe don't, uh, not as strategic thinking and stuff like that. So even though they might be a little bit faster, they might not get to the finish line as, as quickly. So it's, it's fun to, to race with the, with the young guys. Nice. And do you find like I found I'm just turned 40 and I found that our the strength compounds a little bit differently than when I was younger. It's just a different feeling I find like um, and obviously now I'm not training as intensely. So we'll, we'll go like slightly train to about 70, 80 percent before we train to 120. Um, have you found that as you progress throughout your career of, of water sports that it just slowly compounds, compounds and then you're uh, the volume of which you can do obviously can outweigh some of these kids for sure. Um, you're talking about heart rate now, 70, 120, or, or what do you mean? Well, more just like physical exertion, I guess, intensity, like um, even for lifting or even for other sports. Before I went in my 20s, I would push to like 120 physical exertion, be sore for four or five days and be a wreck. But there's a lot of, e even for like, I was listening to a couple other podcasts on training and they would only train to about a 70, 80% exertion, but there would be so much fun involved in that, that they could train more frequently and then they would be less sore and then they could add volume. And then that's what gave them their longevity rather than exerting their joints to the point of training to 120 and being extremely sore, over fatigued. Um, just wasn't sure just because you're 15 years older than me and the model role model for me so i'm just kind of curious yeah no that makes a lot of sense i think um like i you know probably the most fit i've been was when i trained every year for the molokai race for santa paling which you know is like a 32 mile race takes like five six even up to seven hours of santa paling on rough water so that that's like an ex extreme uh endurance 
and mental challenge, you know. So in training for that, you know, in the beginning, I did a lot of volume training and and really um, pushing the volume and and trying to get more um, endurance and stuff like that. And then later on, I like talked to people like Travis Grant, who he doesn't really train the distance. You know, he doesn't even train the full distance. He just does his normal like shorter runs and and trains for speed and trying to go as fast as he can. And and then for the when he does the long race, he just um, extends that for a longer distance and and okay. he can pull it off and but it's also like just over the years like yeah you know i've done the done it like over 10 times on a stand-up paddleboard so then you um you kind of grow that muscle memory and and you don't have to train as much in terms of the volume and um can focus more on like yeah like you said like training maybe a little bit lower intensity not not as long of a distance but you know try to go try to go fast with the minimum amount of effort and things like that. And, you know, wing foiling, I would say like, cause for example, the wing, the Molokai race on a wing full board took me less than two hours. So it's like, it's like a totally different kind of race. It's like almost like a, and stand up paddling, like a two hour race is like almost, um, kind of a shorter distance, you know, compared to the Molokai race. But, um, so it's takes like different training and, and different, um, different effort. I mean, you can push a lot harder for two hours than you can for five or six hours, you know, and still have some yeah. energy left for the finish, you know? So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's fun to, to get into the training for the wing foiling and stuff. It's definitely different. Yeah. I don't doubt. Like for me, um, I found the hard handles a little bit harder on the wrists and elbows and shoulders and stuff, but the reaction you get out of the wing is, is so phenomenal that it's okay. But for wing mainly for myself was just knees and then for some of my clients I teach wing foiling in Vancouver Island and some of them they were just trying to get up um, figuring out what the best way for them to get up what they needed to strengthen what they needed to increase range of motion wise because a lot of the guys were in their 60s so um, it's always cool to at least get this conversation going in the sense that it includes good nutrition and then it's, it's the whole rounded approach I feel you're not just going to be able to wing foil right away if your hips and stuff aren't mobile enough. It takes a bit of time. Oh yeah. Hips are super important too. I did have sore hips in the beginning. Cause I, I also don't like, I, I don't know. I still don't really switch my feet when I'm riding. I just kind of ride my uh, regular foot all the time. And mostly we're in the waves going back and forth in the waves and it's not a big deal. And it's just, yeah, I have more control, but um, I, I need to learn how to switch my feet for, uh, going both ways um so 100 agree on that the hard handles give you more direct control of the wing which feels good but it's um it's easy to try to control the wing with your wrist like twisted with your wrist and and control use your your wrist too much you know instead mm-hmm. of using finesse like when you have a soft handle you have to use a little bit more finesse and get like the smooth handling and let the wing kind of like you know you're not using your wrist to steer the wing you're using the wing to steer the wing or the motion you know so um i think it is more likely to hurt yourself you are more likely to hurt yourself with the hard handles so you have to be careful with that not to over try to over um use the handles for controlling the wing you might go you know you always want to focus on the finesse and not so much power you know using force to to turn the wing or, or to handle the wing so that's a good point actually and, yeah, yeah it's, and it's harder to um it's more easier to get uh, injured 
And then for for people beginning, I always like you know when you're when you're learning to just kind of get stand up on the board, and especially with knee problems, I, I would definitely wear knee pads. You know, wear wear knee pads to because so you, you got some padding on your knees when you're kneeling on the board and st- standing up and stuff. Um, also, a lot of people that start they they end up like really scraping their or you know when when you're on the on the board and you kind of slide off like your knees slide off the board the the knees and the top of your feet will will get um, really raw from the deck pad sliding you know like basically you get burns from the deck pad sliding off the board so um, in the beginning you should it's a good idea to wear like lycra pants or or wear long pants knee pads and even shoes or socks or whatever just to keep your keep your uh, skin from getting all rubbed raw from from sliding off the board. Oh yeah, fair enough. And then potential infections and stuff. And if you're in a wetsuit country, it might not apply to you as much, but still, still yeah. that kind of thing, big time. Now, just want to circle back to Wim Hof. How did you, how do you find that helps you? And, and what have you found since you've been doing that? I mean, I've heard about it a few times, but then actually, actually my first um, Blue Planet show interview was with, was with Zane Schweitzer. And I asked cool. him if he had any morning routines and he mentioned uh, basically uh, Wim Hof breathing and then also journaling. So I kind of picked up both of those during the pandemic and it's become part of my morning routine. Um, but the Wim Hof breathing, you know, just watched one of the videos on YouTube and how to do it and and then now I have like an app on my phone and I just, um, just tried to, it's just like two, I just do two rounds of, um, breath holds every morning. And it's basically, um, the way I do it is I take 50 deep breaths, you know, like, um, pretty quick breathing, um, to super charge your body with oxygen. Basically, you know, you like, um, over overwhelming your body with oxygen. So you're kind of whole body is kind of buzzing. And then, yep. then you hold your breath and the first couple of minutes, you're just still buzzing from having almost too much oxygen in your system. So then after that, you start to, then you have to just calm down, keep your mind calm and your body calm. And then just hold, hold your breath. I mean, I like today, um, I actually held my breath for six minutes for the first time. So it's 601. <laughs> oh, whoa. But it took me, yeah, like usually I try to like, one breath hold for four minutes and one for five minutes. Okay. So then you're supercharging, like um, you're supercharging, breathing in and out quickly. And then that's when then you just hold. And how long could you do it at the start when you're, when you just started your training? Oh, I mean, when you're first starting, it's just like you, sometimes you can't even hold it for a minute, you know, cause it's just okay. like kind of a mental thing too, you know, like you just, your body wants to breathe and you just let it breathe. So then it's fine. You know, like you just, do it as long as you can without, um, you know, just go as long as you can. It's kind of a, a challenge, but you slowly work your way up. And, and um, yeah, the Wim Hof uh, app, I think it's like, it's like 10 or $15 a year, but if, if you're into it, it's definitely worth it. And it just kind of mm. keeps track of your breathing. It, it basically tells you what to do and you just, uh, you can adjust it, the breathing, how fast you breathe and how, how many breaths you take. And then it times your, your breath hold. And okay. gives you kind of some pointers along the way. So that's that's been a really good tool for me for the breath hold. And I think it's definitely increased my lung capacity. Like I can hold my breath um, longer just because I have better lung capacity. And um, and another thing I do is um, box breathing. 
where um, you inhale, inhale for like a count of three, then you hold it, hold it with your lungs full for three, a count of three, exhale for a count of three, and then um, uh, hold, you basically breath hold for a count of three. All right. Huh. So and that, it's just like kind of like a box, inhale, hold, exhale, hold. You, know, you try to slow it down as much as you can. And then for me, that's a really good meditation tool too, because you have to kind of focus on your breathing and the kind of everything else is kind of drops away. So you just focus on your breathing and kind of meditate at the same time. And that's also a good way to, to train uh, your lung capacity, I think, and, and your mental, okay. you know, just overcoming that mental um, urge to breathe, you know, like you realize you don't have to breathe right away when even though your body wants to breathe, you can you can just wait. You don't have to breathe. <laughs> Which is pretty important given, yeah, the sports that we're in, right? Like you'll never know if you get held down a little bit or something happens and your board flips and you're stuck under. Like these are they're important points. Yeah. So, and then another thing I wanted to mention too is like um, I got COVID a couple years ago and like before I got COVID, I, I was able to breath hold for like five minutes, 40 seconds or something like that. That was kind of my longest time. And then I got COVID and then, you know, with all the coughing and stuff like that, I kind of had low, long COVID too. I had like coughing for six months after I got COVID and my, oh, wow. like I couldn't hold my breath for more than like three minutes, you know, and mm. um, uh, for like a long time. And it's just now like, um, you know, two, two and a half years since I got COVID the first time is where I can really um, push my maximum breath hold again. It took my lungs a long time to recover my lungs oh, and wow. my throat like I have this this coughing itch itch in my throat all the time. Oh really? Oh so I'm glad yeah. you're glad you're on the other end then that's for sure. Now do you ever do any because I've seen videos of Laird where he hops on an assault bike, jacks the heart rate up, goes in, breaths holds or gets held down by a couple guys just to, to simulate it. And I think he was saying that he was happy if he could hold for ten to fifteen seconds or something or because you're jacked up at that point. Have you done any of that kind of training? Um, I have not, um, but that okay. makes totally makes sense. I mean, yeah, if you're if you're breathing hard and using oxygen at a much higher level, of course you can't you can't like you know you can't hold it that long. But I think like what I try to do now is if I do get held under, like I I don't ride big waves like I used to, but like I do sometimes go out in bigger waves, especially on a wing. You know, you don't really want to get worked by a big white water. Um, no. but, um, but like if I do get held under, I just try to relax cause I know it's going to let go of me at some point. And instead of try trying to fight to the surface when there's, when it's bubbles everywhere, it's very hard to get to the surface. If you just wait a little bit, relax, and then, and then come up kind of once it subsides a little bit, cause the wave will subside and then you can get up to the surface a lot easier if you wait, wait a moment and just relax. And, um. And then always try to, obviously you want to always try to get a good breath before the next wave hits you, you know, <laughs> but the bigger the waves are, the usually the further apart they are too. So there's like a bigger gap between the sets, between the waves. So it gives you a little bit more time to get to the surface, take a few breaths and then, um, yeah, but, um, but yeah, like doing it at, at the moment of maximum exertion is obviously it's, yeah, it's much harder to hold your breath at that point than if you relax and your mind is calm and your body's calm. Yeah. hundred percent. What do you, what did you find that you loved the most about wing foiling when you started? 
Oh, I mean, I, I, you know, I've been a wind windsurfer for like 30 years before starting to wing foil. So I think the biggest revelation for me was, oh, the wing is not attached to the board. I can do all this stuff that I couldn't do on a windsurf board, you know, like just like tacking on, on a windsurf board. Tacking is actually really hard because you have to turn into the wind and then jump around the wing to the other side of over, over the oh, front yeah. of the mask and then go on the other side and, and turn. So, so in wing foiling, I thought tacking was like super easy, you know, um, compared to, to windsurfing. Um, but just, yeah, like the freedom and the, and the power and being, and then how, how low drag the, it is once you're up on foil, it feels like kind of like you're on a skateboard or something like wing skating is kind of similar to that. Like when you're windsurfing on a skateboard where there's very low rolling resistance, that's kind of what it felt like to me on, on a so the foiling combined with the wing is, is just an amazing uh, sensation. It's like you, it feels like you're flying, you know. Now, do you do you like getting into the waves, or is it more so you like to ride the shoulder further out and just ride some bigger swell? And like white water can be a bit uh, precarious for uh, for winging, but yeah, like I said, I just I just tweaked my ankle because I was hitting trying to hit the white water off off the top, and then the board. Uh, and that, so that was not a good idea. I mean, basically, there's some guys that are pretty good at it, hitting the white water with the foil and recovering. But it's it's always every time you do that, it's, it's kind of um, taking a chance a little bit, and it's easy to lose control of the foil. So usually, I like to find a wave that's kind of uh, not not breaking, or you know, or avoid the uh, the breaking lip, and just ride the open face, and just do like big roundhouse carves, like do you know, come around and go around the other side and like the, these oh, kind yeah. of turns, you know, um, yeah. and then just kind of carry the speed. Uh, it's super fun. I mean, yeah, like uh, waves are my favorite. And if definitely like if the waves are good um, and like light off, light offshore wind and clean waves, it's the most fun for me. Oh, awesome. Nice. Hey, did you ever think Blue Planet would, would grow to be like, like this successful? When you were starting it out, did you think that this would take you down this kind of cool life path that you chose? Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of funny because when I first started the business, like I said, it was like a business plan and a marketing plan. And I had some partners that we did the marketing plan together. And we're like, oh, yeah, in 10 years, this will be like $100 million uh, revenues and this and that. We had like this plan of revenue uh, growth and whatever. And of course, we're not even close to that yet. But um, I now I'm, I don't really focus so much on the top line, um, the total revenues. I, I focus more on like what's left over after all the expenses are paid. You know what? You know, trying to uh, have a profitable business that I enjoy enjoy running. And um, to me, that's like, yeah, and, and like I said, the balance between uh, work, play, um, family, friends, and um, and personal time and travel. And I I love to do all that stuff. So. To me, um, growth is not like the ultimate goal of the business. It's more like life, my lifestyle and making a good living without working too hard for it. Yeah, fair enough. That, that sounds kind of bad. I mean, obviously, it's it's hard work to, to be successful in business. You know, there's no way around uh, the hard work part. Um, but, you know, I, I, like I, I used to want to grow like 10 times from what it was like 10 years ago or whatever and did, didn't get there but you know it did grow and it is much more profitable now and um so i'm i'm happy with the where where we're at now and 
maybe one awesome. day I'll retire and sell it to someone else and then they they can grow it to a hundred million dollars in revenues. <laughs> but I think, yeah, like if you're looking at just growth and there could be a sizable time difference and investment difference and, and the quality of life, definitely. Cause you put in time as well, right? It's not like it's five years, you put in quite a few years. So it's been slow and sustained, which is awesome. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, 35 years and I, I'm still like, or I am again, 100% owner of the business. You know, I haven't had to take on a lot of outside money. I mean, I've taken on some bank loans and stuff over the years and mostly pay them off now. So it's kind of nice to just not have that pressure of investors or, you know, making um, loan payments every month and this this and that. So um, to me, that that's kind of almost more important than having this huge brand and I see some of the other brands that are growing very rapidly, like Armstrong, and um, you know, and I'm sure they did uh, great during the pandemic. Everybody did great during the pandemic, but now foiling is kind of reaching a point. I think where it's kind of starting to be more saturated. The market's kind of more saturated, and the growth is going to be kind of more limited. So, and if that's your only focus is is uh, foiling, and you have this huge airplane in the air and you know at some point you have to um yeah it's, it's just it's <laughs> I'm, I'm glad i'm not in that position where it's like uh you know and operating on probably really thin margins or you know a huge marketing budget and and uh big overhead and stuff like that so and you know and then of course like army had to probably also take on a lot of partners and investors and things like that to make that growth happen so um yeah, it's just like it's I'm, I'm kind of, I feel fortunate that I'm not in that position actually, you know, so if that if that makes sense. I don't know if to, that probably doesn't make sense to most people, but I'd rather have, I'd, I'd rather have a small profitable fun business that than a bigger business that, you know, where I have to stress about stuff all the time. Yeah, that completely makes sense. And then you can focus on different board designs and, and all that aspect of things. Like, are, are you the one? Who does your R and D, and then are you the one coming up with these ideas to tweak this, tweak that kind of thing for new versions? Um, well, I mean, we do. I do have um, a few team writers that give me feedback. Like Eli, Eli and Derek are really helpful with uh, wing designs and stuff like that. We're working on new prototypes, and then um, just really detailed stuff that they and like and the way they like Derek uses the wing like with a Y handle, which is like a totally different way of using it, I think. And I, I, I actually think if Derek Hamasaki got to one of the WSL contests, or what is it called? The, um, you know, the wing foil, um, world tour world there? championship in the waves, he would probably kill it, you know, because he, he carves so hard and, and just cuts up the waves. But anyway, um, yeah, so, uh, those, and then like we are distributed in, in uh, New Zealand, Dan, he had a guy actually that requested um, requested like a longer narrower board, and I, I designed it on the computer for him. And then I was like, "Oh, I'm going to make myself one of these. I'm going to make it even a little bit longer and narrower for for racing, you know." And that's how that that wing racer came about. And um, oh, nice. And then yeah, the, well, as soon as I tried it, I was like, "Oh, this is the future," you know. This is, and I think even for yeah for any kind of light, lighter wind conditions, it's it's a great shape, you know not just for racing, for any kind of free riding. And doesn't really, you know, like it's a foot longer than my free ride board. And 
doesn't handle quite as nice, but it handle, still handles fine on the waves and everything. So um, you don't really need a, a tiny short board to get good handling. Yeah, because everybody's going a little bit narrower and, and longer now, if I have a big trend, I guess. Now, where do you get your boards made? Are you are you doing designs, building that stuff in Oahu, and then where do they, where's the factory? Yeah, we, get, we do make some prototypes here locally, but um, our factory has been traditionally in China. We, we use a couple different factories. Um, our foil board factory um, that we're using right now is in China. Um, and then... We just we're just starting to make some standard paddle boards in Vietnam. Okay. Uh, there's a really good factory in Vietnam that makes some of the best um, best uh, PVC sandwich construction boards in the world. Really, you know, I think better than Cobra or anything else. So that's we we just started working with them. So we're getting our first shipment from them. For now, we're just doing standard paddle boards with them. But in the future, we might do foil boards as well. So um, oh, nice. But, okay, you know, like. In the past, I've I've always, well, and then we still have like some lower cost, like entry level stand up paddle boards. Um, I found that you know, like one of the market segments, especially here on Oahu, that kind of gets that's kind of underserved as the beginner market. You know, a lot of, like there's not a lot of good inexpensive equipment for for that kind of that beginner and and recreational market, and that's really the biggest market, especially for stand up paddle boards. So we have like a good line of entry level boards that's affordable, and then but now I'm really focused on like making like high the highest performance boards possible for the for the more advanced guys. Not necessarily the pro riders, but like the guys that are advanced and they want to they want the best they can get for their money. You know, kind of that kind of thing. So for paddles, oh, cool. boards, um, accessories, I just want to create like that the really high performance equipment. So where do you get your ideas from? Uh, well, I mean, a lot of it is just on on the water, trying things out, and and uh, and then talking to other people and getting their input, and then obviously also like a lot of it from, yeah, watching YouTube videos or uh, reading the for online forums or, you know, getting like just reading what other people think and, yeah. Um, Back in the stand-up paddle days, I um, I I used to be on the stand-up zone forum a lot, where people would discuss stuff, and I got a lot of ideas from that, and uh, developing things from that there. Um, not so much anymore, but yeah, I, I do try to kind of always stay on top of it. And then my uh, yeah, the Dan in New Zealand, he he watches like he he says instead of watching movies at night, he watches YouTube videos, and then whenever he sees something good that he thinks I should see, he emails me the link, and then try to watch that and you know so um yeah i mean right now there's that trend of everyone saying all oh, these downwind foil boards are great for light wind wing foiling you know so that, <laughs> that's still a pretty new trend and uh but i i feel like um you know and i've tried that as well uh, just wing foiling on a downwind foil board but <laughs> they're actually designed for a little bit different use than what we're doing with the wing so I think they like the board, like the wing racer is, is an even better, it's like the next step forward from, from using a really nat, um, pointy nose and tail, um, board like they do in downwind foiling. So yeah, I think it's just always a, a progression and, and just trying different things and seeing what works and what doesn't work. And a lot of it is trendy too. Like, like I said, like if, if 
uh, one person makes a video about something, then everyone else thinks they have to make that video as well. And <laughs> that's and true. <laughs> it becomes a trend, you know, because everyone sees all the videos. So they think, oh, this must be good. So I'm going to buy that too, you know. But yeah, it's, yeah, all of that. Fair enough. Yeah. So, supply and um, demand. And I saw one of your, I think, early on beginner uh, SUP videos was one of the most popular ones or something you were saying. I looked on your website there. You gave a quick overview and a brief history of SUP. And then because your your content has been really, really good. Like you've been pushing that for a long time. So, But you're some of the first ones putting out SUP content, eh? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, early on, we're just all about stand-up paddling. Now it's more, I would say more about wing foiling, which is my passion right now. So, but like, yeah. And it's always hard to say, like, we've made like, I think over a thousand videos that are on YouTube now. And it's hard to say which one's going to be a hit and which one's not. But like the kind of the beginner instructional videos have like the, our most popular one, which has, I think now two, 2.2 million views is uh, how to stand up paddle in five minutes, you know? So that's like a good title and people want us to watch it. And it's a quick introduction to stand up paddling and uh, get people into it. And it's kind of a fun video where I'm, I wear like an Aloha shirt and I'm, just gives give the pointers really quick so people can but obviously you know if somebody really wants to learn it takes more than five minutes but it, oh, yeah. people think or pe- people always like to think that they should be able to learn something in five minutes <laughs> <laughs> are you finding the same trend with uh like wing foiling content as well uh yeah i think um wing foiling is a little bit different but like early on i made a uh uh, a wing foil instructional video um it was called just wing it i think um and that was like super popular in the early days because there was like nothing else like it at the time there was no other instructional videos for wing foiling um but now i don't think it's getting views at all anymore so it kind of just yeah. died because there's so much other content now that's more current or, or probably better than what the original one that i made so maybe it's time to make another kind of beginner wing foil video i don't know Cool. Yeah. You got you perfect setting for it. Definitely perfect setting. Gwen Gwen and Damo are doing super well with uh with their with their show. I was just talking to Damien the other day and and yeah, they're taking a bit of a break from their podcast, but they're so busy with other projects. But it's pretty cool to have a bunch of different people just sharing love and sharing passion. I think that's what all of this is about is is that being able to share that passion with others who may it, it can, can may completely change their lives if they find winging like you have no idea the impact you do on families so definitely a big thank you for you for for doing that for all of us for such a long long period of time it's pretty cool yeah no worries um yeah and i think something that uh demo and uh gwen uh really um did too was the short form content like now that they have those you know youtube shorts and like kind of tiktok style short videos instagram videos um that seems to be really where they where they're getting a lot of views now versus yep. the kind of longer form videos but to me it's like if you want to really convey something it's it, I, I, to me it just makes sense to make the full video instead of just having like the the 60 second clip where you know but that's and i guess that's what people want to see you know obviously uh, um it seems like that's the trend this shorter videos with um just like well, I talked to Tom Hartman there at GWA. He's the the, the tour manager there because I was going to put out a three-minute clip of him versus a six-minute clip 
And he's like, just put just put the six minute clip out. Those of us who want to see it will watch the whole thing. The scrollers will tack take 10, 15 seconds. But I always think of it now, and and we're not getting nearly as many views, obviously, as you guys, but just to put it out for our target audience who wants to see it. And then it's about the love and passion you put behind it. So but yeah, there is a trend, but there I don't know if that really matters, to be honest. I think we can make our own <laughs> and just keep chipping away. Yeah. It's nice to have a short, like, how to do this move, boom, done, two minutes. That's awesome. But it's not always that easy, and sometimes you just need longer, for sure. Yeah, I totally agree. And I mean, I was surprised, especially, like, you know, when I started the Blue Planet show, you know, I started with, like, one-hour interviews, and then I just kept going. Like, if, you know, if there, if it was an interesting interview, I was like, why stop? You know, just keep going for up to two hours, or whatever. You know, but um, I was surprised how many people were actually would watch the whole thing. You know, like once they got into oh, yeah. it, it's like they want to listen, keep listening. And if you're if you're into it as much as we are, then yeah, you're not gonna just like stop halfway. You want to hear all of it, right? So um, to me, it's like yeah, it's, it's go go as long as it's interesting. You know, <laughs> definitely, definitely. Um, I, I know you said you had to jet off soon, right? Is there anything else you'd like people that are meeting Blue Planet for the first time or meeting yourself for the first time to know? Oh, I mean, I, I always appreciate like when people introduce themselves and say, oh, you know, I, I learned how to wing for on, on your YouTube channel or whatever it is, you know, like I love all your videos and, and stuff like that. It's always cool to hear that, like especially at AWSI, I heard that a lot and um yeah, I mean, that's, it's, it's a great, great feeling to have that kind of impact. Um, and it keeps me motivated to, to keep, keep that going. And, um, but yeah, um, to anybody on the water, I would say just kind of, um, be friendly, share, share the water with everyone else, you know, not, you know, be helpful with other wing foilers, but also respect the surfers and the canoe paddlers and the fisher fishermen and everything i mean there's so many ways to enjoy the ocean just kind of um be inclusive and uh and make sure everybody can enjoy it and just share share the share the stoke you know that's awesome that's what i would say and, and then be safe you know try to go out with friends don't don't it's uh part of wing foiling it's a solo sport but it's also a very sociable thing like when you're setting up breaking down um and it's just more fun to share share the stoke with others and it's also safer you know if something happens like we're, we're pretty good about that like we always make sure the last person came in you know if it gets dark and there's still someone out we make sure they they get in you know safely and uh, true. usually without calling the coast guard you know <laughs> so fair enough well hey robert just want to say thanks a lot for taking the time out of your day today joining me on here and we'll have to have you back on and chat chat some more in the future yeah my pleasure thanks so much and thanks everyone for watching a lot awesome all right thanks everybody take care